All right, guys. As you know, we're not doing this traditionally. As a matter of fact, we're using the more uh, seminary approach to teaching. Um, we won't limit that. Um, so we're going to make sure that if there are any questions, we'll have a time for Q&A. But I want to talk about theological significance using these particular selected passages. These passages I selected are not limited to the theological significance concept. In other words, we'll still, you'll still be able to use this theological concept on any passages you want to put together, right? This is to teach you how to move in it. I figured it'd be something that we've already learned. As you already know, the most cataclysmic events, the most life-changing events, many of them occurred in Genesis. Creation, that's one. Two, the fall of man. A little bit slow? Okay, I'm sorry. Amen. We good? So we have one, creation, two, the fall of man. Three, the flood. This is all in one book. Genesis covers a whole lot. Four, the disbursement. Oh, no, actually, no, I'm sorry. Four, the first murder. I should have actually done, that should have been three. Four should be uh, the flood. So three, the first murder, let's do it that way. And four, the flood. Five is the changing of languages. Very impactful. Five. And six, I'm going to simply call it the identification of a people. The identification of a people. Because from that point, everything just starts to, to grow and it's like a seed in the ground. But all of these events take place all in the book of Genesis. And it's in that order, guys. Do not get confused and think that stories like the story of David or Elijah or any of the kings is in Genesis. It's not there. You're not going to find it. Genesis goes from a huge macro event to then a micro event dealing with a family, the lineage of Abraham, which goes into Isaac and then Jacob and then Joseph and Judah. And the line continues until Genesis 49. So how I'm going to start today is going to be based on what I ended with last week. Let's go to Genesis 49. And we're going to be, I started reading it, but I didn't finish it off. And when we get into the Exodus Luke series, we're going to talk about the names of these individuals. What do they mean? Jacob's last words, 
to his sons. Genesis 49. We're going to go with verse 1. And I want you to remember this because you're going to find that one thing that will never change in the word is the promise. Watch this. The promise made will always come to pass whether it's 100 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years. The word of God will never pass. It will always come to pass. All right, here we go. Then Jacob called together all his sons and said, Gather around me and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. Come and listen, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Jacob and Israel, same person for those who don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach this today in two ways. For those who do know and for those who don't know. So for those who do know, know that I'm repeating something on purpose for those who don't know. Is that okay? Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, remember I, last week I was laughing about this? Reuben stood up acting like, you know, oh yeah, he put his peacock feathers out. He was all happy because his father started with him because he was the oldest. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power. That statement would make anybody feel good. That was a setup. But you are unruly as a flood, and you will be first no longer. For you went to bed with my wife. You defiled my marriage couch. Done. Period. You are no longer the firstborn or the first, have the firstborn rights. Do we see a pattern here? Yes. There's a pattern of the firstborn not receiving the rights. Who was older, Cain or Abel? Cain. Who killed Abel? Did Cain lose his birthright? He absolutely did. So now no one was an inheritor because Abel would have been next in line, but Abel was dead. So then who was going to be next? We find out later on, she has a third son, and his name is Seth. Seth ends up being the inheritor, and through that line, the messianic seed was preserved. Messianic seed, if you can imagine this, an invisible seed that needed to be preserved all the way to Jesus. Let me say that again. The seed from Adam needing to be preserved all the way to Jesus. Every time the seed was threatened... The seed of the past, future, this seed was threatened every time and God had to wipe out so that it would not be threatened anymore. So that seed leads all the way to Jesus. It needed to be preserved. And the one who we thought would be the one who qualified, which should be the oldest, was not going to be the one. But nor was it the next two because Simeon and Levi are the next in line. Let's read about them. Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. These are like demonic twins. Their weapons are instruments of violence. You know what they did? They killed a whole entire town, a whole entire village. Them two by themselves got everybody drunk and killed them. That's how bad they were. We're not going to get into that story, 
But that's how bad they were. May I never join in their meetings. May I never be a party to their plans. For their anger, they murdered, in, in their anger, they murdered men and they crippled oxen just for sport. Curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. Watch this. These two individuals, their names mean to listen and to be attached to. Simeon means to hear and to listen. So what is he trying to say? What is Israel trying to say? Your names I will not allow to be a part of my life and a part of the lineage. Because if I listen to and am attached to, then that's going to cause the seed to be poisoned or intoxicated. Y'all with me so far? So Simeon and Levi were removed. So then who's left? The fourth son. He's the fourth son of Leah. Leah was the one who wasn't qualified. She was the ugly one. But she wasn't so ugly that, and this, that's a funny story, that Jacob couldn't recognize that, that. How in the world? How in the world you don't know that that's not, that's not right? You knew that wasn't her. Playing it off like you. Oh, I didn't know. I thought it was Rachel. No, you didn't. You knew it was Leah. But you, but you want to make sure Rachel was on the list, the roster. Here's the thing. Leah was the unqualified. I want you to take that. That's part of the message. The unqualified Leah was the one who was identified as the one who will have the seed or part of the seed or the continuance of the messianic. Rachel would have been the preferred. But Rachel's preference, again, this is what God does. He chooses the least of them to make them the greater of them. She was cross-eyed. Nothing with cross-eyed, guys. But she was cross-eyed according to the word of God. And she wasn't that appealing. But yet she was the one chosen to have the child. Now, you would think she didn't qualify because her first three sons didn't qualify. So you would say, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, they, here comes Judah. And Judah becomes the one who then brings her name to the front line. Now, what, what did Israel, Jacob, Israel slash Jacob say about Judah? Judah. Your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. But like a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. Anybody know what this is? What is this, what is this right here? What are we reading right here? What can we say about Jacob and whose last name is Israel? What can we say about him based on this comment right here? What is he? He's a what? He's a prophet. 
He prophesied something. He talked about Jesus. That's Jesus he's talking about. The one through the line of Judah who will have the scepter. And after he holds the scepter, after he, uh, the scepter doesn't depart from him, what happens? The one whom all nations will honor. Well, that only happened with Jesus. He ties his foal to a grapevine, the coat of his donkey to a choice vine. Anybody know when this happened? Uh, you, you, you ever heard of the triumphal entry? See, Jesus had to fulfill all of this. He washes his clothes in wine. How did he wash his clothes in wine, guys? Anybody? How did he wash? How did this person that he's prophesying about wash his clothes in wine? The blood of Jesus. He's prophesying the crucifixion. He's speaking about that whole week of the crucifixion, the week of passion, as many call it. His robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine. His teeth are whiter than milk. Man, Jacob went through a moment of ecstasy. He told, as he's prophesying to Judah, he goes into this ramp. That I'm sure they were wondering, what, what's wrong with dad right now? Why is he going and speaking like this? That makes no sense. But it makes sense to who? Who does, it make, who does this make sense to? If it didn't make sense to them back then, who does it make sense to? It makes sense to us, the church. The church can read this and go, oh my God, here we go. You know what's awesome? You see the concept of wine and you see the concept of milk. Wine and milk is none other than the spirit and the word. Guys, when, when, when it was spoken about going to the land of milk and honey, the land of milk and honey or the land that flows with milk and honey was none other than the land that flows in the apostolic and the prophetic. In the word and the spirit. In the bread and the wine. That combination is what transformed the world. You need two. How did Jesus send them out? Because two is required. And that combination, even Paul knew it. Because when he broke up with Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, he needed to find someone to be his partner fast. So he found Silas. So now the apostolic and the prophetic went together. That's for those who know the New Testament. Let's go back. Zebulun will settle by the seashore and will be a harbor for ships. His borders will extend to Sidon. And by the way, this is still going on today. The tribes of Israel are not fully identified. However, everyone wants to be a Kohathite. So everyone is Levitical. That's why you got names like, you know, Levi and because for what, or Kohanim, right? Because for whatever reason, everyone wants to be connected to the high priest structure. So even when you go to Israel, no one really knows where they are from. Like they... They kind of toss it out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm from the tribe of, it's always one, it's always one or two. It's always either Judah or, or Levi. You really rarely find, or in a rare occasion, Benjamin. 
But here's the thing. Revelation chapter 7 says there will be an awakening where all the tribes will be found out again. What tribe they're from. You got people today, I know, got all this conversation of these groups called the Israelites. They said that, uh, you know, they use all the islands as a means of saying that there's a tribe there. Uh, I think Dominicans are uh, the tribe of uh, Dan or something. I don't know. Puerto Ricans, the tribe of... uh, Benjamin, there you go. You see? And I remember having a confrontation with one of them. And I said, um, what year was the Dominican Republic first established? Was that after uh, the Bible? I mean, was it after those years? I mean, I'd, I'd like to know. Share with me how you get that information. How in the world you are able to determine by way of so many infiltrations and so many cultures, you're now saying that this country that's made up of many countries, that they are a tribe. That's if you ever get confronted by an Israelite, you'll be able to uh, throw that at them and see what they say. Issachar is a sturdy donkey resting between two saddlebacks. By the way, the tribe of Issachar were very much known for understanding the seasons and the times. They understood when to do something and when not to do something. I wish we all did. When he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land, he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor. When you know the season you're in, you know when to labor and when not. Do you know that if you, do you, know that if you labor during a time where you're supposed to rest, you can damage your future? Oh, but I'm always working. Well, that's the problem. Because God's season, God has no season. So he's the only one who has a title to say, I'm always working. Me and my father are always working. You better take some time to rest. Because your rest period is your, your working period to get you better. But I work all the time. And then, you know, kudos, right? We want kudos because I, I, got, I got three jobs. Yeah, but when do you rest? Don't tell me about your workouts. Tell me about your rest time. See, but I work out every day in the gym, thinking that that's going to make a difference. Do you understand you have one nervous system? One nervous system means that everything goes to that one nerve. If your body says workout time, it's workout time and no building time. God actually made me do this commercial for somebody. Somebody's overdoing it, and God is letting you know you need to rest. And that rest time is where you recover so that you become more effective during your work time. Dan will govern his people like any other tribe in Israel. But here's the problem with Dan. And then we find this out in the book of Revelation. Dan will be a snake beside the road, a poisonous man. How do you hear this from your father? A poisonous viper along the path that bites the horse's hooves so its rider is thrown off. I trust in you for salvation, O Lord. His father, after saying that prophecy, goes, I trust in you for salvation, O Lord. That must have been a big deal. Anybody want to know why Dan was called out? Dan was called out because... He's the one who introduced, or his tribe introduced, idolatry to Israel. 
And because of that introduction, we find that in the book of Judges, because of that introduction, listen to this. Because of that introduction, in Revelation, when there's a disbursement of all the tribes, anybody ever heard of the 144,000? Raise your hand if you have. All right. The 144,000, 12,000 per every tribe. They go through every tribe. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Issachar, the tribe of Zebulun. And for whatever reason, two tribes get skipped. Guess which one one of them was? Dan. Dan has no say because the tribe that introduced idolatry to Israel was going to be removed in the last day. Called portions. Make sure, Revelation chapter 7. Make sure that you are a, you are at the table when God calls you to be at the table. Show up. Be there. You know, today is a day of showing up. You showed up. You're here. And some of you may have had obstacles to come today. Somebody say amen. Somebody had obstacles. Because when something good is about to be given, there's going to be ravens following. Ravens follow the harvest. Y'all didn't catch that. Ravens and crows follow the harvest. So when you are about to really explode, expect the ravens and the crows. You better have a good scarecrow that looks like a cross. Amen, amen, amen. All right, let's continue. Gad will be attacked by marauding uh, uh, bands, but he will attack them when they retreat. That took place. Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for kings. That took place too. Naphtali, this is so awesome when you can read the past and the past. Right? You can read the, you, you read the past past and then you read the past and you see that the past was fulfilled in the past. It's the best thing in the world. Like I read this now and I go, my God, you're God. Because everything that took place took place. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. The most beautiful women were found in the tribe of Naphtali. Joseph is the foal of a wild donkey. The foal of a wild donkey at a spring. One of the wild donkeys on the ridge. Why is this a factual thing? Because Joseph, the tribe of Joseph, was nullified for a season. Anybody know why Joseph was nullified? Because Joseph was exposed to Egypt. And Joseph became an Egyptian. He had double citizenship. But he was more Egyptian than he was Hebrew. Why? Because he spent more time there. He understood the culture. He became a leader. He was in prison there. He was a slave there. He did all those things there. So all he had is a memory of his childhood. Remember, he was betrayed by his brothers as a child, as a young man. So his whole life, he knows more Egypt than there, but he still remembered the language. And he also had a heart that was of forgiveness. He forgave. that, And God knew that he was going to forgive. That's why he was selected of all his brothers... To be the one to be betrayed. 
Wow, hold on a second. You mean to tell me that I can be selected to be betrayed? Yes. God can choose you to be betrayed because your betrayal is somebody else's salvation. Does that sound like the story of salvation to you? Betrayal in your life means that somebody else gets to live. That's not fair. Well, is it fair after you're the governor? Ask Joseph after he was governor of all of Egypt if it was fair. Don't ask him when he's in prison. Don't ask him when he's betrayed by Potiphar's wife. Accused of something he did not do. And could not find a way out because of the stature of the person. Where Potiphar had to say, sorry man, I know you're probably telling the truth, but can't do nothing for you, got to put you in prison. Goes to jail, but his favor still surfaces him. He becomes the best jails person. Number one prisoner. Telling the prisoner, telling the warden what to do. Listen, when you have favor, the leader will listen to you. Even though you're under the leader. And then ultimately becomes the governor. So this took place. Archers attacked him savagely. They shot at him and harassed him. Next one. But his bow remained taut and his arms were strengthened by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. By the shepherd, the rock of Israel. The shepherd. The rock of Israel. Who's that? That's Jesus. Do you know that? This is a little one for for the exam at the the uh, the exam that's going to be at the end of the month. The angel of the Lord was mentioned four times in Genesis. Remember this. The angel of the Lord was mentioned four times. Why four times? Well, it's necessary for four points of view. When there's a car accident, you require four points of view. And just because this person says, I saw it, it was their fault from this angle, this other angle could say something else. It's the reason why there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For the four times Jesus reveals himself... In the Old Testament, by the way, the angel of the Lord is Jesus. The angel of the Lord is the Old Testament Jesus. He had to be as the angel of the Lord because he was not flesh yet. So in those encounters, he does the same encounter later on. Recap. Genesis chapter 16, verses 7 to 14. We'll continue this in a minute. Genesis 16, 7 to 14. This is the account of Agar, the maidservant of Sarah, who was pregnant with Ishmael. Now, understand that this story here talks about being at the well. So Jesus, to fulfill this story, did a John chapter 4. So the angel of the Lord met Agar by the well. Jesus then meets the Samaritan woman by the well. It was him again. Recapping. Everybody with me? 
What you find in the Old Testament is literally a shadow of what comes in the New Testament. But for a shadow to be created, what do you need? You need light. And so that light is what shines causing the shadow. Genesis 22, 11 to 18. The talk about the the whole narrative of the cross with Abraham and Isaac. That's going to be on the last one as well, guys. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was a representation of Jesus. Genesis 22, 11 to 18. This passage narrates the story of Abraham being tested by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. This is also the story in which God shows himself as Abraham. In other words, using Abraham as, a, as a, uh, uh, um, an actor, right? Let's use it that way. And Isaac representing Jesus and that sacrifice being fulfilled by Jesus and the father later on. That's why he kept calling him your son, your only son. Your son, your only son. It wasn't his only son, folks. He had Ishmael. Genesis chapter 31, 11 to 13. Here, Jacob had a dream where the angel of God appeared to him and gave him instructions regarding the flocks. The angel assured Jacob of his presence and protection. This was Jacob's moment. The angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, meets with Jacob. This is the third time. And in this encounter, the angel of the Lord establishes something. The connection. What is going to be the connection? What did Jacob see? What did Jacob see in Genesis 28? He saw what? Anybody knows? He saw a ladder. And what what does a ladder do, guys? You climb a ladder, right? But do you just climb a ladder? Because you're only talking about the initial. You also go down a ladder. So those that are up have to come down. Those that are down got to go up. So we, I love the way the word puts it, that the angels are going up and down, not down and up. That means they initiated their journey from down. That means they were already on earth. So he saw the angels going from down on earth, going up. Because there's a message to give. All right, let's continue. Last one. Genesis chapter 48. Towards the end of Jacob's life, he blessed Joseph and his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. This is really important. Jacob invoked the angel of God, asking for blessings and protection for his grandson. In this case, the angel of the Lord did not show up. So this is more an encounter or a presentation of. But you remember what I told you about the youngest and the oldest? If there's ever a description of that, there's a description of this, right? Or should I say this? The right hand represents you are the next in line. The left hand represents no, you're not. So Ephraim received the right hand and Manasseh the left hand. And why were they adopted by Israel? Why was it necessary? I'm wondering what throws water more. These things back here or me? Jesus. All right, why did that have to take place? I gave you all the answer earlier. To bring who back into the fold? Very good, stop. 
excellent. To bring Joseph back into the fold, Israel had to adopt his children. Because his Egyptian nature removed him from what was already the alignment of his sons. So he could not be a tribe. So in the allotment of land, Joseph doesn't receive an allotment of land. His sons do. Ephraim and Manasseh. You'll never find the lot of the plot of land of Joseph. Never. Please tell me if you find it. I will be, I'll stand corrected. But from what I've studied, not one plot of land was allocated to Joseph. But Manasseh and Ephraim, they received land because now they were sons of Israel as well. That's what adoption means, right? And if you're adopted, you are now grafted in. If you notice, the storyline never changes. This grafted in people, people grafted in all of a sudden are now qualifiers. The storyline doesn't change. It remains the same. All right, so those are the four. Genesis 16, 22, 31, and 48. Now, how much time do I have? Okay, good. I'm going to go into theological significance. I'm going to keep this one brief because I, want to, I really want to get to uh, the last one, which is the relevance and practical application. The creation account, the theological significance of Genesis 1 lies in this affirmation of God's sovereignty in God's power and goodness as the creator of the universe, not just the world. Let's not limit God to the creator of just this world. That's a limitation. To know that there's so many other planets out there and to just say he's the creator of the world, that's the reason why when, when, when we break down the, the who rules the world right now, according to the word of God, who's ruling the world right now? We don't want to say it though, but it's true. The word says it. Satan. And this is his playground. He was tossed out. Two places we find that. He was tossed out and sent straight to earth. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. And when he gets tossed out, he now tries to do one thing, and that's discredit the creator. How do you discredit a creator? By changing his ingredients. What does that mean, changing his ingredients? His original plan, when altered, that's how the devil gets his way. Because his goal is to show God not as the creator. He wants to show God as a liar. Think about the conversation, the discourse between Eve and the snake, the serpent. The serpent was, was tossing stuff her way and going, are you sure that's what he meant? Because his desire is for the created to be in animosity or anonymity against the creator. The created and the creator. Now, the enemy only has one bullet in his chamber. And he knows that. And so he uses that one. You know what that one is? Deception. Who said that? Decep deception. 
He only knows how to deceive. He can't force you. No one here can say the devil made me do it. No. The devil tempted you and you took it. The devil doesn't make anybody do anything. He will put the bait out. He'll do like every other, like any other fisher, fisherman, right? Put the little bait there. The fish that grabs it is the one that gets it, right? Gets pulled out. That's the one that ends up getting in, put in the skillet. And everybody eats. But did the fish have a choice? And so we have choices. When we talk about Luke chapter 4, and we talk about the revelation of this one event, Jesus in the desert, in Luke 4, it shows three parts of humanity that needs to be tested and won. In Luke 4, we find the devil in the desert and Jesus doing his fasting for 40, 40 days, 40 nights. And in that time, the first thing that gets tested is the easiest thing. is where everybody fails. So the other two don't get done too often. It's always the first one, right? It's the flesh. I know you're hungry. And I heard... That you got powers, that little thing you do. I know you got something. So why don't you turn these rocks into bread and have yourself a nice sandwich? Jesus says, man shall not live off bread alone, but off what? Every word. Very good. Because the word is sustenance. It's the reason why in John chapter 4, when he's with the Samaritan woman, why they, the, when the disciples came back, they were like, I know you're hungry. We got some food. We went to the market. We got you something. He goes, I'm, I'm not hungry. I'm good. I'm full. You don't know the food I eat. Let your soul appetite be filled. Please say amen to that. Let your soul appetite be filled. Because at the end of the day, if your soul is right, then everything else is going to fall in place. All right. When we talk about the passages, I want to look at the incarnation. The creation account is one. The theological concept lays the groundwork for understanding humanity's role. What is humanity's role in all of this? We are called stewards. No one has control over somebody else. I can't. I really don't have control over you. Nor do you have control over me. I can't lord you. There's nothing in the word that says I'm supposed to lord you. If, the, if Genesis is or the Garden of Eden is indicative of what we're supposed to be controlled, controlling, then what should we be controlling? The earth vegetation. What about animals? Yeah. We have sovereignty, but we also have governance to govern, but I'm not supposed to govern you. I can direct you. I can help you, but I'm not supposed to be the one over you and lording over you. Some would disagree, but I also don't believe that the masses have the right answer. 
I got no amens and a lot of deer looks. You know how deers go? One of the biggest mistakes that even the United States has made is allowing the multitude, the consciousness of the multitude, dominate the moral direction of a nation. That was a huge mistake and continues to be because the moral compass, the metrics of morality still lies in the creator. For people who have been trying to remove the creator for so many years, a lot of them were children back in the 60s. There was a move back in 67, 68, and they put it on the New York Times, and it was God is dead. You guys remember that? God is dead. There is no God. Young people grow up. I saw a parade. I'm not going to get into this right now, I promise you. But I saw a parade where the people that were chanting, they were saying, we got your children. We want your children. Because if you can get the children, you get the next generation. That's a problem, folks. That's why deviating from the word is a problem. When we start making up our own rules. No, it's not what's comfortable for me. So now comfort becomes verse 1, verse 2. I'll listen to that as long as it makes me feel good. I'm going to preach the word here today. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to teach the word here today. Thank you, Lord. John chapter 1 talks about the incarnation of the word. The theological significance of John 1 centers on the concept of the incarnation. The word becoming flesh. The word becoming flesh. The word becoming flesh. Meaning that there was a decision made. A decision to become flesh. For the word before its flesh is invisible. But invisibility doesn't mean you're powerless. Just because you can't be seen doesn't mean you're not existing. Who's hearing what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, the unseen you has no limits. So when you become unseen, you graduate to a level that allows you the extent of wisdom and knowledge not limited to a brain in water. Don't ask me to say that again. So what you got to make sure you understand is death is not a end all. Death is the beginning of. For this passage is for us to understand the nerve endings. To then understand seeing. You know how you appreciate sight? When you don't need this anymore. And you can see. For those of us who use glasses... We got to deal with the everyday not seeing first or not seeing clear, which can be very annoying. I got a lot of fellow glasses people here, and I try to avoid this. I don't know if you know this. Sometimes I don't wear it, and I strain. Those of you who have been watching me, I go like this. Y'all think it's because I'm trying to look cute. <laughs> no, this is me going, I got to see. <laughs> I got to see. And when you are translated to a soul with no body, you are now translated 
to the full epitome, optimum you. Ah, you become optimized. Can I speak about this right now? I just feel necessary because this translation of the incarnation of the word, we need to know that the word was invisible before he became flesh. So he knew it all, but as a baby, had to find his way. Okay, watch this. Oh, you're going to love this. The eternal God became flesh on purpose and knew that in becoming flesh, he would have to go through the process of developing what he already has. He had to now develop seeing and hearing and tasting and touching and walking, things that he already was an expert in, in heaven. His process understood, like he even understood, wow, I got to do this thing called expiring. I got I to do this thing called dying, and I don't even understand that. I'm in heaven, and I know that there was an introduction to death, and I know that that was part of the curse that I initiated because I'm the one who spoke it. I cursed the devil. I cursed, and I caused death to enter in, but I don't know what death is. But I'm going to be human, go through the process from baby, meaning I'm going to do the breast milk thing. I'm going to depend. I'm going to depend. Wear, wear pampers. Back then, I don't know what they were. Wear a rag or something, right? That was horrible. No pampers. That was something. Yeah, I know pampers is the brand. Thank you, teacher. I love you. You know that, right? Boy, she stay correcting me. I love it. Now I'm going to remember that too. You know, it's just that growing up in a Latino home, everything, el palo pamper. You know, yeah, pampers is the brand. And it could be huggies, but it's still pampers. Thank you, Jesus. Interpretation, translation. I'll never forget. So, looking at it from that perspective, we look at Genesis as the invisible God, and we look at John as the visible God, meaning that that transition, this is why Genesis and John are good together. When you're teaching someone, Get through Genesis and John together because you see that in the beginning, God created. And then in the beginning, the word was and the word is. The invisible word becomes the visible God. The invisible word now translates to God in flesh. And watch this to give us direction. Do you know if God wanted to, Jesus could have put together a whole thing on how babies should be? Okay, let me explain. We could have had verses on, you know, babies and how they should start walking. Because he was the perfect version of that transition. I don't know what month he started walking. Might have been on the fifth month. That'd be crazy, right? But his transition was the perfect. He was the perfect five-year-old. The perfect seven-year-old. The perfect 12-year-old. Oh, and we get, a, we get a glimpse of the 12-year-old Jesus. Who, the perfect 12-year-old knows how to teach 50-year-olds. He, he goes in and he stays in a temple for three days. 
Sound familiar? And on the third day, he's found. And his mother, who's his mother, but also the one who needs salvation. The one who needs salvation finds the one and thinks he's saving him when he's still going to have the plan of saving her. That's so good. Let's cross the street. Who's who's safer, you or me? You're going to get hit on me. Don't you know that me with you keeps you safe? So he grows up and the word becomes flesh. Now watch this. This theological truth underscores the profound nature of God's love and his desire to reconcile humanity to himself. John 1 presents Jesus as the light. And this is not the light that we see here. This is the light between darkness in man or darkness as evil and light as good. Eternal life is presented. Offering salvation is presented. Showcasing his redemptive work. I love the word showcasing because that's what he's doing. He's showcasing his redemptive work. In order for you to demonstrate something, you need to be first in the other place. How do you showcase a good car? Make sure it looks good. Shinier than what? Shinier than what? Because there's got to be comparisons. Then the other cars, it must do what? What else? What else must it do? It must, yeah, you better drive. It must be able to at least, if you're going to showcase it, it's got to be faster. It's got to be stronger. It's got to be more mm, user-friendly. You know, that's the best way to say it. User-friendly. It's got to have all these features to be showcased. Well, guess what? Jesus became the showcase. At age 30, he couldn't go beyond 30. At 30 years old, you are, he was at his maximum. That's why he started his ministry at age 30. Also because uh, in Numbers 4.34, it says that a Kohathite can be a, in, in charge or be a high priest at the age of? 30. Come on, guys. It's not, I'm not trying to, it's not a trick question. At the age of 30. So the Kohanim, the Kohathites, became high priests. Jesus had to be age 30 because the high priest can only be a high priest at the age of 30. So all he needed was three years. Three and a half years changed the universe. Three and a half years is why we're here. That's powerful. Now, In summary, the selected passages from Genesis and John hold immense theological significance with the broader biblical context. But here's where I want to go because time is running. I'm going to bypass critical discussion and interpretation. And if we have time, I'll go back to it. But I want to go right to relevance and practical application. Relevance and practical application. How can we apply what we've learned today? How can we use John and Genesis as a way of living? Well, there are three things in Genesis that I want you to write down. The first thing that becomes important, one of the key, three key applications that I was able to look up. First one is environmental stewardship. Environmental stewardship. 
Genesis highlights the divine mandate for humanity to care and steward the earth and its resources. In today's world where, where environmental issues are pressing concerns, the lessons from Genesis call for responsible and sustainable practices that promote the well-being of the planet. In other words, we are in charge. And we have a small time frame to make sure that we show our stewardship, but also pass on. I don't care how great a leader you think you are. If you did not form a Joshua, if you did not form a, a next person, you failed. If you cannot be duplicated, if you're not duplicable, you failed. If you're the only one that can be here and do this every week, you failed. Because if you die, guess what dies with you? All of it. So that's the reason why we need to understand there needs to be a passing on. Whether it be by supposed failure or continuum. If, if somebody, you know... Yesterday I had the pastors meeting, those who were under the covering. So we had the pastors here. And one of the pastors said, you know, I ran into someone who you used to teach many years ago. He sounds like you. He moves like you. He teaches like you. He acts like you. Da -da 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 -da. And I'm like, amen. And I asked him, so who's this person? He mentioned the person's name. I said, wow, that's a long time ago. And he said, yes. And I told him, he said, he approached me, he said, was uh, Apostle Israel your spiritual father? He said, no, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Because as long as you leave a mark, you can have many Joshua's, many Elisha's. And guess what? In heaven, the credit's still applied to you. There's residual income in heaven. Oh, when you go up in heaven. Remember this one right here? This is one of your legs. I didn't know about that leg. That leg was back when you were a youth pastor. So it's okay. But here's the thing. It's part of continuum because... I may be from someone else. I've learned from someone else. Let me go up there and somebody tell me, man, you kind of started doing stuff like Bishop Tony Miller. Amen! You better believe I'm going to embrace that. Why? Because we all come from a tree that came from a tree that came from a tree that came from a tree. So what do we... Amen. Number two, so environmental stewardship is one. Number two, human dignity and equality. This is all from Genesis now. The concept of human, humanity being created in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, emphasizes the inherent dignity and worth of every individual. The worst places in the world are places that have no longer seen value in life. 
They could see a dead person in the street and keep walking by like it's a dead dog. Even dead dogs shouldn't be looked at that way, right? Those of us who have dogs. My point is, this area of lack of importance of life is where things start to fail. And the word of God brings us back to that place where humanity does count. That we do care about each other. That I do want the best for you because me wanting the best for you is me creating a scenario where somebody wants the best for me. This has practical application in promoting justice, equality, and respect for all people regardless of race, gender, or social status. If you all day long talk about black, white, and all that, you have a problem. Get some deliverance. Mm. Somebody catch somebody say something. The truth is, if you are still worried about the color of the car instead of how it performs, you got a problem. Did I just compare us to cars? Yes. Cars have an exhaust just like we do. Cars need cars need oxygen just like we do. If you go to a place and all you're worrying about is the color of the vehicle and not the performance. And there's a problem, folks. And you need some help. I'm telling you because I want to help you. Tell the Lord, Lord, show me what I need to do. Because I'm still judging people based on their external vehicle. And not the soul that carries the context and the power and the anointing in their soul. That's where it's at. You know, people start conversations um, to, to, to determine whether or not you're worthy of a conversation. So, so, um, where are you from? Oh, you're what? You're, you're Puerto Rican? Oh. I want to live in America. That is a feeble way of thinking. It is immaturity as a human, not even as a race, as a human. When you can sit down and understand the mind and the heart of a person even if they don't speak your language even if their english is dumbed down what are they essentially trying to say Ooh, that's so good do you know ebonics i do grew up in it that's why i understand that some languages need to be altered and taught right you teach but you teach without judgment See, got two minutes. Family and relationships. That's number three. Family and relationships. This is what Genesis tosses out. Family and relationships. You have, again, environmental stewardship, human dignity and equality, and now family relationships. Genesis portrays various family dynamics. I love it. Genesis goes from being man and wife. Thank you for Isaac and Rebecca. One. Just one husband and wife. We got children. They were the basic American family. They had, it was husband, well, it was husband and wife. Some of y'all caught that one. It was husband and wife, and they had twins. And that was it. Isaac and Rebecca. They had no girls. They just had twins. But then you have a Jacob, who's the next generation. I always say, 
pay attention to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you'll know what generation we're in. It seems to be a cycle. The Jacob generation wants everything. Give me Rebecca. I mean, give me, give me Rebecca. Give me Rachel. Give me Leah. Give me Zilpha. And give me Bilhah. Jacob had them all. All four of them. Not just the two wives, but the two wives' servants, Zilpha and Bilhah. All his 12 children were based on four women, for those who didn't know. Those four women, each one of them, were given certain amount of children to describe a sentence, one that I will not share with you today, but I'm going to leave that as a biscuit. I shouldn't say biscuit. That's still. I'll leave it as a carrot. Even that's not good. I'll leave it as a nugget. As a gem. Thank you again, teacher. As a gem so that we can pursue. Because I want to make sure that we are desiring to come back to learn more about the word. All right. Now, seven seconds. By the way, the lessons from these narratives with the family relationships can guide individuals and families in cultivating healthy relationships. Forgiveness, reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are different. We think it's the same. When you forgive, you can forgive and not be, with, be around the person. I forgive you. Reconciliation is there's a need to be back in front of that person because you're reconciled. So reconciliation is stronger than forgiveness because for reconciliation you need forgiveness but forgiveness doesn't need reconciliation and fostering harmonious communities okay john personal faith and salvation that's number one personal faith and salvation the gospel of john emphasizes the importance of individual faith in jesus christ for salvation and eternal life its practical application lies in encouraging individuals to have a personal relationship, not a personal relationship. What's the difference between relationship and relationship? Real simple. When you are religious, this bothers you. This. This right here. It bothers you because somebody told you we're going to go to church and you walk in and you go, This is not church because I remember what church is really like. Where the choir with the robes? Where's the man in the front with the big old outfit or woman? Right? Where's the big Bible? Why are they speaking thou art? Why are they not using that type of language? But when you are situated in relationship, then you know that there's an evolution of things, not people. And those things cause you to have to adapt to it. In other words, you're not going to find in the word of God that they gather together on a high place in a plane. And you can't say because there's no plane in the Bible that it's of the devil. To be in a plane means that you're in a place that's in a vehicle that takes you from one place to the next, and in that plane, you can have church. 
especially when it's kind of like shaking a lot. <laughs> when it starts to go down, and even the, even the atheist becomes religious or spiritual, I should say, right? Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, God and Jesus, not the Holy Spirit, but God and Jesus gets mentioned a lot. Like I have yet to hear somebody say, oh, Holy Spirit. Atheists do not know Holy Spirit or people that are not in relationship. They don't know Holy Spirit. They'll know God They'll know Jesus, but Holy Spirit They still call Holy Spirit an it By the way, by the way, you want to get measured in your relationship with God if you're still saying it to Holy Spirit That's the problem That means you still haven't formed a relationship with him and you're still calling him it See when I went into the church I felt the Holy Spirit. Did you feel it? There you go. There you go. There you go. Did you feel? I felt the Spirit. I felt the Spirit. Did you feel it? The Spirit is not an it. He's a him. And Jesus never made the mistake. Look at John 14 and look at John 16. Makes it clear that Jesus understood Holy Spirit as a person and not a thing. He said he the counselor will come to replace me while I'm gone I'll be back but while I'm gone I will not leave you by yourself you will have him the spirit of truth you can't and it can't replace a him unless he's a him and then here's the here's the the baffling question that I get from a lot of people and they say why is God a male and not a female because being a male is not just a person male, it's an, a, an actual activity. Let me, let me run that down. Being a male is not just male, female, flesh. It's also an actual title, or should I say an activity, uh, even better, a function. So when we say God as God being male, then we're speaking of a function of male. Because if he's a female, that means he depends on a male to give creation. Y'all didn't catch that. If we understand male as function, then we understand that God cannot be a female because in order for a female to give birth, she requires male interaction so there's dependency and God does not depend he's the giver of seeds so that's the reason why we call him him it's not gender you know because we're trying to be uh, focused on the man and no it's because the function of male That would, mean, that would mean that God would require another deity to inject into him to create. So that, that's, the, that's the answer to why. It's not like, you know, we're not trying to be politically incorrect. It's understanding what it means to be male. And why for a season Adam was able to run the garden by himself? 
Eve would not have been able to run the garden by herself and there would have been no rib to get it from. All right. Uh, B, by the way, by the way, how much time do we have? Zero time. Zero time. Ooh, Jesus. Uh, so there, there are four in John. I said personal faith and salvation. The other one was witnessing and evangelism. B is witnessing and evangelism. If you're not witnessing and you're not evangelizing, then you have not been given the spark. The spark of the relationship with Jesus will cause you to want to evangelize. You will want to speak of that night with God. You will want to tell people about what took place. If that's not where it needs to be, then you need to go back into that place of intimacy with him so you can talk about the intimate time with God. Intimacy over and over again means I got a new story to tell. Everybody with me? If you lose the ability to talk about it, that means you're not too intimate. Number C, number, uh, letter C on number three, pursuit of truth and discernment. Jesus presents Jesus as the embodiment of truth and light and shines in darkness in a world filled with conflicting ideologies and moral relativism. The, the, this is number three, pursuit of truth and discernment. And to live according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Last and not least. Last and not least. Number four, love and service. That's number four. John 13, 34 to 35. The gospel of John underscores the central importance of love as Jesus commands. Uh, woo, what does a commander do? Commands. If you are a general and you give a command, what do you expect? What happens if you don't follow an order? Not only consequences, what are the consequences? You don't follow, what's that called? You are disqualified. Dishonorable what? Dishonorable discharge, right? Or, or there's another word. There's another word when, you, when you're told, say again, insubordination. You become insubordinate to the one who told you to go. So guess what? Anything that comes at you, don't be upset. You were given an order. You didn't follow. This is my commandment that you love one another. That's his command. He says, I don't care about anything else. I know Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments will be filled with these last two. These two will fulfill all of that. This is my commandment that you love each other, that you love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and that's equally as important. Everybody say equally. equally. Everybody say equally. equally. Equally as important, love each other. For those who say, I love God and I need to be with God, I'm good with God, but not good with anybody else. That's why Jesus said equally as important. That means it has to balance. It has to be equal. Oh, but I love God. I love God, but you, you don't love, you don't love uh, Altagracia. You don't, you don't love her. What's going on? But I love God. I love God. I just can't stand her. Well, then there's a commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another. Genesis, John. Genesis is the thought, the concept. John is the manifestation of. If you learn John, you'll find out that John 
is just a series of mathematical equations. That'll be in another time, in another, another sphere or venue, but it's all math. 21 chapters on purpose, seven I am's on purpose, seven miracles on purpose, on purpose, all of it. Because he mathematically showed that God is in control of that which is truth, not just that which is real. Questions? Question. We have a question. Do we have the microphone? We should have microphones on. We should have more than one microphone circulating. For, for the future, let's have one on one side, one in the middle, and one on that side. So when we were, um, you was giving Ezekiel 28 about um, when Satan sent, was sent to earth. Uh, mm -hmm. Isaiah, what was that? 14. Isaiah 14. Thank you. Anybody else? I have a question. Question. So when you um, were describing when um, Jesus died, right? Uh-huh. And it's just uh, my head. When he died <laughs> and he went to heaven, did he have a conversation with God? How about, I would like to. Well, how about if I told you conversation with God never stopped with Jesus? There was no beginning end conversation. That's why he was able to say in, Gen in um, Isaiah 44, 6, I am the beginning and the end. I am Alpha and Omega. And then at the same time in Revelation chapter 2, 8, say the same thing. But this time say, but I'm the one who died and rose up again. The conversation was continual. It was an Alpha and Omega conversation. What, when, at the point that he died, God had to look away from him because he took the sins of the world on, on, him, on, mm -hmm. on him and God could not see, could not tolerate sin. The conversation had to have stopped then. Yes, she's right. It was a broken conversation. At that, moment, At that moment, on the cross, Jesus was actually deprived of the voice that he always heard. And that deprivation caused him to cry out. My God, my God, why have you using what? A Psalms. Over here and then over here. So to be back what Deacon Angie was saying, so if God is Jesus and Jesus is God, mm -hmm. how are they conversating by way of Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit is God and Jesus? Yeah. So they were talking, how were they talking, communicating? She opened up Pandora's box. <laughs> we ain't got time to really get into it. But, but, but let's say right here, we have a triune scenario here, right? God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. This conversation cannot take place unless the interpreter is there. The interpreter of the Father and the Son is the Holy Spirit. Also, the interpreter for humanity. Without the Holy Spirit, there would not have been a day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the day where translation took place. Everybody understood each other. Without the Holy Spirit, there could not have been a day to remove people's languages. In Genesis chapter 11. Holy Spirit was the controller of communication. Holy Spirit is the great communicator. Without him, there is no communication. 
not with God himself and not with humanity and not with the angelic host. He is necessary. And it's the reason why many people don't know him. They don't understand the importance of him because they can only see a father and a son. They don't understand what's the spirit thing. You know, is, is he a ghost? Because we can see a face, father and son. We live it. I can look at a father right there. I can look at a son right there. But what's this Holy Spirit thing? And it's because he represents the culmination of the hand of God. You know who the Holy Spirit is? He is the power that caused creation. Jesus was the word that caused creation. Father was the architect that caused creation. But the power was the Holy Spirit. When you get healed, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that heals you. In the name of Jesus. By the authority of the Father. Ooh. So the Father authorizes it. Jesus gives his name. He's the key. But the power is the Holy Spirit. Yes, over here. You have, there was one over here too, right? On this side? All right. You we'll, mentioned, we'll, end it, we'll end it with you guys. You mentioned in the relevance and practical applications about family and relationship, and you said the first family was, or if we wanted to find out where we are in cycle, Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yes. Okay. Um, but then you said first family, which made me confused because I thought you were going to say Adam and Eve. And my question from like three weeks ago was, if Adam and Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel, where did that woman come from? So then how is it? So I gave them? that in one of the classes, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat it really fast. Cain kills Abel. Cain gets tossed out of where he's at. Cain is worried about getting killed. Cain tells the father, tells God, listen, anyone who sees me is going to take me out. God then places a mark on Cain saying to, to everyone, anyone who tries to touch you, they'll see the mark there. They know they can't touch you because the same thing you did to Abel will happen to them. They can't touch you. He becomes an extortionist. He ends up running a whole city. The word says that he ends up naming, I got you, naming the whole entire city, his, the name of his son, Enoch. He finds a wife outside, not inside where he lived, meaning that it couldn't have been his sister. That means there must have been people that existed already on the earth. Yes. But that is a... That is a further discussion. I, leaving it there for some people may be, may be hard. But to know that there were two creations, not one. Two scenarios, not one, will help you to understand why in Genesis 1, male and female were created, right, on the sixth day. And in Genesis 2, we find one man by himself. Why in, the old, in, in, in Genesis 1, we find that... He, Animals are created on the fifth and sixth day, right before man. But in Genesis 2, the animals are created afterwards. Ah. Amen. Anybody else? Uh, that's it. Over here, and we're going to close it because we got, we got the, next, the next tier. Okay, the flesh was the first. Okay, thank you for that. The flesh was the first. 
the soul was the second, and the spirit was last. Flesh, bread, soul, all the things of the world I'll give you. Jesus said, I own it already. I don't know what you're doing to the devil. And last one was to tempt God to throw himself from a precipice and using the word. He used Psalms what? Anybody? No one? What book or what, what did the devil resort to as a, a, a Bible verse to tempt Jesus? It was the only time he used a verse. Because to, to tempt the spirit, you need a verse. The flesh was just bread. The soul was just temptation of, of the flesh. All the, stuff that, all, all the stuff that you can own, right? But what was it that he used? Psalms 91. Write it down. Psalms 91. Psalms 91. We find Jesus using a verse, or rather the enemy using a verse, and Jesus countering him. By saying, okay, you got that? I got this. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. How about the animals? All right, guys. Let us stand.